Hello, I'm Erin Marcus, founder and CEO of Conquer Your Business, and I want to welcome you to Ready Yet? If all you needed was a step-by-step plan of what to do, you could buy a book on how to succeed and you would be all set. But here's the rub. You'll never do what it takes until you become the person it takes to do it. The Ready Yet podcast is dedicated to those who are ready to become the person who succeeds, ready to become the person who steps into more, and ready to become the best version of themselves. In the I'm Ready interview series, join me for inspiring conversations with people who figured out who they needed to be in order to achieve their dreams and were brave enough to be that person. Hello, hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ready Yet podcast, where I get to talk to these amazing people and share their stories with you about who they had to become and what their journey was to get to where they are now. And I'm very excited because I've known my guest today for quite some time, even though evidently I've been pronouncing her last name wrong all these years, but Terry Dreyer is just someone I've been kind of, I don't know if she knows us or not, so been a little enamored with, like since I met her and the story and what I've watched you create and the fact that it's of service, right? Like so of service to your clients. And I know um, through our experience together, networking, but also being part of different educational groups, it was always, okay, how can I learn? What can I do? How can I do a better job for the people that I'm helping? So before we get into all my questions, because now I get to learn more about your story, what I think I know, and what's probably the truth of it all, um, why don't you give everybody a more formal introduction to you and what it is that you do? Sure. Thank you, Erin. It is an honor and a privilege to be on the show with you today. I've also had a love fest thing going (laughs) on with you for years. You're so dynamic and I just love your speaking style and what you've done as well. So it's wonderful when great women get together and and, um, really recognize that in each other. And I'll start off by saying there's nothing too special about me. I'm just a you know, I mean, there is and there isn't. Okay, I'm the oldest of nine kids, so I've always been okay, right there. That that threw me. Like the minute I learned that about you, I remember the conference room we were sitting in. I remember the first time I heard that come out your mouth. I'm like, oh my god. So yeah, so I didn't have any choice about being a leader. Or not. <laughs> my dad was a Marine Corps officer, so I learned um, strong ethical principles and leadership from an early age. In fact, my dad is part of my story because when I was in high school, and by the way, I moved like 37 times by the time I was out of high school. (laughs) I guess the Marine Corps had a big budget back then. But anyway, um, yeah, my dad um, was sitting in the audience during my high school graduation award ceremony. And I was surprised to um, receive the award for most leadership in my class. Usually it was the captain of the football team or something. I don't think a woman had ever received that award. This was 1973. Anyway, my dad just stood up in the middle of the audience. He was the only guy standing up. He just raised his hands over his head and he clapped for me for like two, three minutes. And um, it was humbling. It brought tears to my eyes. And, And I think that was the moment that I always knew 
that I had something um, of my dad in me. And I can always tell when women that I meet have strong fathers because they have a certain confidence, a certain, um, you know, competence. If they had a father that totally believed that they were going to be a, a successful person, that's such a gift. That is so interesting. I love that you said that because I'm I'm thinking of my own story as you're saying that. And I'm close with my father. I'm very close with my father. He really wasn't around a lot. It was because of work and a variety of reasons. I can't say he was involved a lot. However, he, I never, I mean, he always thought I was smart. Yeah. I had no doubts that he felt I was very smart, that I was very capable. So even though it wasn't a highly involved every Sunday, we did, it wasn't like that. It wasn't leave it to beaver by any means. Yeah. I never doubted that he thought I was very smart. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's something that just goes into your soul when you're a young woman and you're not really sure of who you're going to become yet. When you have um, I think especially a father that breathes that into you, it is so powerful. And I still remember when I got in my car in um, a little town in Massachusetts with a U-Haul on the back, and um, I took off for Chicago because I wanted to work in ICU in Chicago. And so I landed in Chicago in 1977, and I worked in- you just missed the snowstorm. <laughs> 76 <laughs> snowstorm. That was good timing. Yeah, it was right before the seventy nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a big one. But um, that's I how we measure history around here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember those six foot snowdrifts in seventy nine. But I moved out here in nineteen seventy seven because they didn't have any ICU jobs at the hospital that I graduated from, and I just knew that it was my calling to be an ICU nurse. So um, picture a twenty um, two year old girl driving from Massachusetts on her own. We never locked our, our doors growing up. And I arrived on my very first night at the University of Illinois when I was staying in their, their little quarters for nurses that hadn't found a home yet. Um, I came out the next day and all my stuff was stolen. Oh my <laughs> it was God. You didn't, no one told you not to leave it in the car. Yeah, like, oh, uh, it was amazing. Gosh. And so that was my first lesson. But you know, I love those years. I didn't realize how special they were. It was 1977 through 79. And um, it was during the gang war years. Yeah. And there were a lot of gangs um, surrounding the University of Illinois, and um, Cook County and, and Rush. And um, we were right there in a triangle. And we used to call it the Friday and Saturday night knife and gun club. Oh my God, right? <laughs> Everyone who came in the emergency room had a wound. Of yeah, yeah. You, you have the mafia on one end that are machine gunning each other. You have the Hispanic population that were knifing each other. And then you had the black community shooting each other with handguns. And there were so many famous stories. And there were some really famous surgeons back there. And I stayed after work often to go on rounds with the surgeons and the medical mm -hmm. students because I was just like a sponge. 
and I had a wonderful, wonderful mentor, a little Filipino guy who believed in me. And he would teach me how to do all these hand calculations of cardiac output. And, and he would drill me all, all the time. So he really helped me become an A plus excellent um, ICU nurse. And then I loved ICU. The sicker patients were, the more I wanted to take care of them. So I really had a blessed career. So um, how, I have a question because yeah. the way that I met you was when I had my last business working with families with aging parents. Mm -hmm. And I've been interviewed about my journey as well. And mm -hmm the variety of reasons I chose to sell that business. Mm -hmm. And there was a variety of socioeconomic reasons. There was a variety of geographical, logistical reasons. But one of the reasons was caregiver burnout. Yeah. Where every client, and that doesn't even come close to what you were working with, but every single client we had was in trauma and they were very angry. Mm -hmm. because they were not happy about their situation and they needed, they often needed an outlet for that anger. And no matter what we did, it was often us. And I just was no longer able to have the empathy for the clients that I had started with. Mm -hmm. And I was catching myself in those moments. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious how your ability to handle caregiver burnout has kind of probably helped you once you became an entrepreneur mm -hmm. in the stick it withedness that needs to happen. Yeah. And the, the perseverance, the persistence, the tenacity that served you in ICU and whether you knew it was related probably have also served you as you've grown your own business. Oh, definitely. And I honestly thought I would always be an ICU nurse. There's very few nurses walking around out there today that can say that they were an ICU nurse for 39 years. I can't and, even imagine, especially yeah. here, especially in Chicago. We're not talking about, I mean, right. you're going to see the worst of the worst of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, constantly, not just occasionally, constantly. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely true. In the last 23 years of my career, I worked at a cancer hospital. So we had very immunocompromised patients with complex medical issues, lots of high tech ventilator stuff, brain surgery, um, trauma. Um, I mean, I, I, when I was 22 and 23, I loved the buzz, the adrenaline of the trauma. But as I got older, I realized that what I really loved most was giving total care completely emotionally, spiritually, physically, um, supporting the family. That was my niche. And honestly, I would have stayed in it forever if it wasn't for all the changes in healthcare. And I saw this coming on in um, 2009 and 10 hospitals were getting ready for the Affordable Care Act. And unfortunately, part of that meant that nurses and doctors were starting to have to spend two thirds of their day on the computer. And I remember saying to my nurse manager, this is not gonna be good for patients. Mm -hmm. you know? I was wondering, I never really knew. I mean, I knew that you moved from ICU nurse to entrepreneur, but I never really knew what the catalyst was. Oh, well, that's a great story. And I talk about the whole story in um, my first book, Patient Advocacy Matters, now in its second edition. 
but it was actually a couple of things. Um, I was growing more and more alarmed at the focus on the chart and documentation. And I actually started seeing nurses miss um, signs of impending doom on ICU oh. patients because they were so um, head in the computer, like we were being almost harassed all the time to um, um, chart everything. And, and about that time, I realized, okay, it's all about money now, really. It's not a humanitarian endeavor. It's about staying alive because a lot of hospitals are going to go out of business. And, and they have um, since um, 2010. But during that time, I had a couple things happen. One, we went on a family vacation and my father-in-law um, had a, a very serious medical crisis on the, the ship outside of Belize. And, oh, wow. um, and so being the ICU nurse, I got off the ship with him and went to this little Belizean hospital. And to make a long story short, he ended up coding and I had to bring him back to um, the U.S. And I'm thinking, whew, we're back in civilization. He's going to be all fine now. And when we landed in the emergency room in Lake County in a big hospital, um, the doctor that night was the head of the entire emergency room staff. And I thought, boy, are we lucky. And then 10 minutes later, he comes back after talking to my father-in-law's primary care physician and says, well, your doctor says these things happen sometimes and we're just going to send you home on some blood thinners. Now I knew as an ICU clinician that my father-in-law had clotted off a filter in his aorta to catch blood clots. He was not getting blood flow to his organs. And for an ER doctor to come and tell me he was going to send him home on blood thinners, which by the way, do not dissolve clots. They just prevent further clots. It made me so angry. And I pulled him outside the room and I said, you just call up my friend, Dr. Thomas and tell him Terry's in the ER and she's being difficult. <laughs> well, so, okay. So a little bit here again with the tenacity and, and this is, it's your medical situation because, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I've had medical problems my whole life. I had sur three surgeries before I was two years old. Mm -hmm. I've had full facial reconstruction at five. And wow. the reason I'm okay is because my mother didn't just sit back and let the doctor just do whatever. And one of my big things working with aging parents, when I would speak about that, and you and I have talked about that. If you don't make decisions for you, people who are not vested in you right. get to make your decisions. And yeah. it has to do with your business. It has to do with your finances, your health, and nothing sets me off clearly more than people who sit back and let things happen. And half of them do it because they don't know they're allowed to speak up. Right. It can be deadly. And we have a whole generation now of people in their 70s through 90s that were always taught you never disagree with the doctor. Never ask the questions. Yeah. And so today in America, seniors are slipping through the cracks, right, left, and sideways because we live in a a society full of ageism where you get old and feeble and weak and forgetful. You don't have the societal value like Ooh. you would in Japan or China or most places in Africa where, where um, in Asia, where you keep 
family with you forever. That's just what you do. Well, and on top of it with COVID, they're now isolated. I had a friend who was just released from the hospital. She was there for over a week with COVID. And the biggest problem we were having is nobody was allowed there, which I understand, but that now means she has no advocate and she's too weak and no one's listening to her. Exactly. And And with all of us, you never leave someone in the hospital alone. Right. And we saw that during the last um, two years in Chicago. It's like the Wild West out there. People saying families couldn't come in. There were several times that I got people home on hospice because I knew they were going to die within days from neglect in the hospitals. It's amazing how many people lost their lives right due to visitation rules yeah exactly i hope you're enjoying this episode of the ready yet podcast i know i really enjoy having conversations about who you need to be in order to reach new heights as founder and ceo of conquer your business i work with my clients at the intersection where what they need to do to succeed meets who they need to be to do it If you would like to have a conversation about your business, please reach out to me at erin at conqueryourbusiness.com. Fortunately, there's a law now in Illinois that if somebody has a cognitive or mental health disability, they have a right to have a patient advocate at the bedside. And we use that at least eight or 10 times this last couple of years to demand that we were able to go in or the family was able to go in and all the hospitals knew about this, this guideline. And um, it was Governor Pritzker signed it in, in May of 2020. And everybody was acting like they didn't know about that. Because they're just trying to, you know, on their end, they're just trying to get through their forms and get through their day and survive in their world as well. So question, as you combine the fact that you saw the writing on the wall in the healthcare system, and you were not going to be happy in that situation. And now you had this situation with your dad. Is that how you, because there's a lot of things you could have done. Yeah. Entrepreneurship after such a lengthy career is not usually the first thing that comes to people's mind. People's mind. No, there were two other things that happened about the same time that made me feel like God was knocking on my head and saying, uh, Terry, <laughs> um, the thing you need to do. <laughs> Yeah. So one thing was I had a a wonderful, beloved um, nurse manager that had talked to me about a year before this happened with my father-in-law. She said, Terry, what's your five-year plan? And I said, what do you mean five-year plan? I've got a daughter in theater. Get through today. (laughs) I've got a mortgage. I'm the primary breadwinner and working in ICU. And she said, no, really, you've always been a passionate patient advocate and you do it really well. And uh, I think you should think about a five-year plan. And so that kind of noodled around in my head. But the thing that really got me out of the hospital, I don't think I've ever been this angry in my life. I, um, I was taking care of a very, very dear African-American woman, highly educated, beautiful family. They all had their PhDs, very cultured. She had a a very severe form of metastatic cancer that she had come to our hospital for treatment. And she kept on having major 
bleed out episodes and the surgeon just wasn't paying attention. He wasn't doing diagnostic testing. So after the second major bleed out, I'm talking about 25 units of blood in one day. I went to him and I said, you know, Dr. So-and-so, can you help me understand where you think the bleeding's coming from and why we're not going to interventional and doing some dye testing and everything? And he got so mad, he almost threw a chart at me. And then that afternoon, he transferred the patient out of ICU. And the next morning, the daughter came up to me in tears and hugged me and said, Terry, you have to do something. Mommy's going to die. Her blood pressure 60 over 30. She's laying in a pool of blood clots because the nurses don't have time to clean her up. And we're going to lose her. What do I need to do? So I pulled her into a side room like any good ICU nurse that <laughs> is an advocate would do. And I said, you know what, Tiffany, if this was my mother, this is what I'd do. I would go down, talk to the mid-level practitioners and say, I want my mom to go to CT scan and have a test and go back to ICU. And I want Terry to take her. And if you're not willing to do that, I'm just going to go down to administration, talk to risk management. So that's what happened. I went down, I got the patient, took her for a four hour procedure. We gave her nine units of blood during the procedure. And when I brought her back up to ICU, she sat bolt upright on the cart and started vomiting up blood clots the size of of a piece of liver. So we coded her for four hours. So now I've got the doctor's attention, right? So he's running up and down, yelling at us to go faster and faster and faster. We gave her over 30 units of blood. And during that code, when I was turned away for a minute to go get some narcotics to ease her pain and came back, somebody grabbed me and said, help me check this blood. And um, I forgot to scan out a dose of narcotics. Mm-hmm. So a couple of days later. Right. So they jumped on that because. Oh, yeah. They made they me ready, right? Yeah, they made me go do a urine drop, accusing oh, me basically of being <laughs> a drug abusing nurse, and I was livid. I was just like, "This is so unethical." I yeah. said, "If this is what healthcare has come to, I'm not working not in healthcare anymore." You know, and so um, they put me on a ten day suspension. And by the way, it only takes a few minutes to do a urine drop. And they were waiting for me to cool down or quit. (laughs) And so when I came back with my head up because I had done nothing wrong and they had tried to force me out of the system, I thought, oh, yeah, that doctor makes the hospital millions of dollars per year. And I am, quote unquote, just a nurse when nobody's ever going to tell me that I'm just a nurse or expendable to not advocate for a patient again. So I went out and spent a bunch of money and took a course and started my own business. And, you know, the rest is history. This history. And this is, and, and so it makes so much more sense now because so you have, if people haven't cut on yet, your patient advocacy business. I get a lot of people talking to me about the businesses they want to create. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, if they're not going to be able to do patient advocacy, the way that you and your organization does it, then don't do it. Oh, 
thank you. Tell them we're hiring there. I, I do. I, so what I love that you're, so you've built this amazing business, patient advocacy business, and now you're kind of going a step further with it. The yeah. last we spoke. Yeah, I have a couple things. Um, in the fall of 2019, I started a nonprofit um, patient advocacy company so we can reach more people of low income. But um, the thing that I was allowed to do due to the COVID shutdown was I put together all my best material into 13 hours of video um, to train my staff. And then I just got asked by happenstance to share it with other people. And, um, and so I piloted it. And, um, and so now I'm teaching nationally in my company, Nurse Advocate Entrepreneur. There are a lot of unhappy nurses in America right now. And I don't want them to leave and throw away all that expertise because it's the knowledge. The rest of us don't have that knowledge. We don't know what to ask. We don't know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And God forbid you're of the family that was, you know, raised to not question. You need, you'll laugh. I'll tell you a quick story. My, he was an expert. He was, we were already divorced at the time, but I get this phone call and my ex-husband is in the emergency room. Mm. and he had called an ambulance, which is like, okay, something really happened. So I went over there and he's in the bed writhing in pain Mm. and it ended up being kidney stones and he's just writhing in pain. And so I asked to speak to the nurse and asked, you know, how can we make him more comfortable? And she said, well, I already called the doctor. He won't get, he has to approve the next shot, but he won't get back to me. Oh, and I said, okay, I'll be right back. And she looked at me and she said, well, what do you, oh, he was already in his room. And I, she's like, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, when I came in through the emergency room, I saw a bunch of doctors. So I'm going to go get one for you. I love it. And I wasn't mad and I didn't yell and I know they're busy. I I've always, they're yeah. ridiculously overwhelmingly busy. Yeah. So how can I help you solve the problem? And she looked at me like I had three heads. And then she says, well, let me try and call him again. I said, great, thank you. And I went back in the room and I told him, I'm like, they're coming. Just hang in there, they're coming. And she walks in and I knew she walks in to give him his next Uh injection. And while she's doing it, the phone rang. And her cell phone and she's like, yeah, we got it. Like, And I just, she, she, she hedged her bets a little bit on that one. And I just, all I said to her was, what are we allowed to do? What's the rules? Right. Well, we can give them a shot every four hours. Great. Can you come back in three fifteen So we're not chasing the pain. Mm-hmm. And it's that advocacy piece. And I just, I know your focus is in healthcare, but I just can't emphasize enough that this is a concept that transcends patient. Yeah. It's your finances. It's your taxes, personal experience. It's the Illinois tollway I-pass system. <laughs> we won't even go there. I actually ended up in headquarters last week. You can't just sit back right. and let things happen to you. Yeah. 
I, I tell you, Aaron, everything that I see lately is the common sense is going out of healthcare, and I'm growing more and more alarmed. I mean, doctors and nurses in the hospital know what the right thing to do is, but when they are constrained, you're not allowed absolutely the right thing, and they're getting paid by the hospital. You just really can't trust people that are getting a paycheck from the hospital to go to the wall for you. But I love advocacy because they pay us like attorneys, not as much as attorneys. But I mean, when they pay us, we'll we'll treat them like family. We'll do whatever it takes to get them a solution. It's that whole, in the financial world, it's the fiduciary obligation. Yeah. And the doctor, you know, and I talk to people about like, HR departments are not there for the employees. They're there for the companies. Mm-hmm. And the doctors don't work. They, you know, they go in. It's a lot of policemen. They go in with the greatest intentions, but then the system gets a hold of them. Same thing in, in medicine. The nurses, the doctors, they go in with the intentions to the, yeah, to the, um, to that field. But you have to be aware of the players and how they interact. And I see this as a growing, growing, growing opportunity. So if someone wants to continue this conversation, whether they seriously, I can't tell people enough if they have any kind of situation in healthcare and you really do need someone with the knowledge to be able to not just advocate, but interpret Mm -hmm. and ask the right questions. They can reach out to you if they're looking to go into this field. I think this, to me, this is a growing field. Oh, absolutely. And I saw that 10 years ago. So they can reach out to me personally on my email, which is Terry, T-E-R-I at NorthShoreRN.com or my um, cell phone number is 847-612-6684. Let's have a conversation. I love getting nurses and other people everywhere excited about this field because the way nurses are exiting hospitals right now, it's frightening. It's, and we can't lose, I think as a society, we can't let that knowledge go. Yeah, you can't. And, and more and more of the hospital of healthcare is going to be done outside the walls of hospitals. Absolutely. And they need skilled people and nobody advocates like nurses. Absolutely. So I thank you for this opportunity for me to tell our story and um and it's been a real privilege you made my day awesome thank you thank you thank you so much for joining me on the ready yet podcast i get so motivated by the amazing accomplishments of the remarkable people i meet and i'm excited to be able to share some of their stories with you you can find more episodes of ready yet at your favorite source for podcasts or at conqueryourbusiness.com And if you've already decided that you are ready to become the person you need to be to achieve your big goals, feel free to reach out to find out how I can support you in your efforts. Or check out the Work With Erin page on the Conquer Your Business website. I also invite you to share this podcast with anyone you know who loves to learn and be inspired. And if you're so inclined, I'd be absolutely grateful for any reviews you'd like to share as well. Thanks again for joining me. This has been Erin Marcus, hopefully inspiring and helping you to go conquer your big dreams.